Good morning, friends. This morning, I'm inviting you into an area of my life's journey that continues to confront and challenge me. In a number of areas of my life, I can recount varying levels of progress and achievement that I'm generally happy with. I have some academic achievements I can list on my resume, having obtained undergraduate and master's degrees. I've engaged in reasonably well and successful pursuits in the areas of career and ministry and business over the last few decades. I'm indeed blessed as a family man, enjoying good relationships with my wife, Debbie, our son, Brady, and of course, our very spoiled dog, Lucy. But in this area of living, many days at an emotional level, I still feel as though I'm enrolled in elementary school. The life reality I'm speaking of is grief and loss. You know the grief that you feel in your heart when someone you love has passed away? When you get that phone call that an elderly relative has finally succumbed to cancer. The grief you feel when someone close to you tells you they've lost their job and they don't know what they're going to do. Or it could be the loss that you feel in that bottomless pit of your stomach when a relationship has been broken. When someone who was close to you is no longer close, either due to their fault or your own or both. Or maybe you applied for a job or you sought to complete a project and in your estimation it failed and fell flat. Maybe you've reached out to people and they haven't responded. Relationships have been empty or gone sour. Maybe an ideal you've worked for for years wasn't fulfilled. Maybe a test you took, you failed. Maybe a promotion you felt you deserved at work, you were passed over on. But the grief and the loss could be anything from something in daily life to something very significant, like the loss of a loved one, the loss of an ideal, the grief of a profound disappointment. You see, the phrases grief and loss are some of the terms that we coin in our attempt to speak of the impact of suffering in our lives and in our world more broadly. The famous scholar C.S. Lewis, in his book, A Grief Observed, faced grief head on, and he tells of the story. He faced grief head on when he lost the love of his life to cancer very shortly after they were married. It shook him to the very core of his being and his soul, and his faith. And in the book, he remarks, the death of a beloved is an amputation. The same leg is cut off time after time. To be honest with you, my journey has been one of looking what feels like the monster of grief, loss, and suffering in the eye fairly often. More often than I would like to frankly admit this has been my reality. Today we are going to look at the life of someone who graduated from the school of incredible grief and profound loss with doctoral honors, so to speak. He faced them often and intensely, and always in relationships with those that he loved the very most. He is the role model in grappling with this painful part of life, and I commend him to you for your consideration this morning and his name is Jesus, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. We're going to be looking at how he faced grief and loss through the lens of two accounts recorded in the Gospels of Mark and Luke. In one account, we're going to watch him relate to his closest friends and disciples, the people he spent almost every waking hour with, the ones that he chose to trust and to lean on in every time of need or importance to him. 
In the other account, we witness him stare the evil of grief and loss and betrayal in the eye as he sacrifices his very life for those he loved most dearly. We're going to witness him grapple with God himself. We're going to move back and forth between these two accounts contained in Mark chapters 14 and 15 and Luke 23 throughout our time together in order to explore these truths. As we examine Jesus' approach to grief and loss, I contend that we will discover the following big idea, the central theme of my comments this morning, and that is this. Experiencing the deep sadness of grief and the profound sorrow of loss are not optional nor elective in our life experience. Their disruption in our lives is a certainty. What is up for grabs, however, is how our hearts answer the question, what do I do with God in the middle of this? Friends, this morning, the first reality that we're going to discover in these accounts is this, that in the relationships that matter most to us, the very real pain of grief and loss will invite us to face disappointment and cause us to live with a wounded heart. Mark 14, 37 through 41, and then a verse in Mark 15, we see that Jesus encounters deep loss and disappointment in his relationships with the disciples. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he says, Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you'll not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and he prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them again sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning yet a third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Do you get the picture? These are the people closest to him he loved the most. He surrounded himself with them day and night. And this was the most traumatic event of his life facing crucifixion for people he loved, a man who had done nothing wrong, and he simply needed time alone to meditate and talk to his Heavenly Father. He was literally in his hour of greatest vulnerability, and an hour in which he needed his friends to be close to him more than any other. And during that very most important time of his life, they failed him not once, not twice, but three times. Look at the phrase, enough! In the vernacular, if we were to say it today, we'd say, I'm fed up. I've had it with you. Enough. The disappointment was obviously real for Jesus. Think of a time when those you have relied on the most and trusted the most failed you deeply. It could be parents, maybe something in your childhood, where your mom or dad or grandparent or uncle or aunt harmed you, maybe abuse maybe neglect, could be a spouse that left you, betrayed you, wasn't present when you needed them the most. It could be a close friend who you thought would be there in your hour of need and seemed indifferent perhaps. Or maybe one of these people was taken by death very unexpectedly. Think for a moment and feel with me for a moment. What did you feel in your gut at that moment? Stay there with that thought. Stay there with that feeling, if you will. What private thoughts did you have 
as you sat and contemplated that experience? Is it in your mind? Is that person's face filling your thoughts? Is that painful experience close to the surface? Now notice what's going on inside your soul right now. Take a moment. You see, I'm going to invite you in my life to understand how this impacted me. I'm going to invite you on a brief journey back in time for over 40 years ago to the years in and around 1977. At age 12, I'm living alone with my parents in the city of Montreal. I'm probably in grade seven and my two older brothers, because I'm the youngest of three, have by, at this point, moved out of the house. I'm away, I'm alone by myself with my mom and dad. My mom had lived a life battling severe mental illness. Hospitalizations because of nervous breakdowns, suicide attempts were a regular feature of my childhood, adolescent and teenage years. I remember one such instance on a weekend evening, it was a Friday or Saturday night, and my mom was home, but she was heavily sedated after having come out of the hospital, almost to the point where she was unconscious. And my father was away as well. He was not home. I didn't know where he was or when he'd get home. The house felt massive, my brothers felt far away, and all I knew for sure was that I felt neglected, alone, and abandoned. It seemed like nobody cared about how I felt about being left to figure things out by myself. I couldn't wake my mother, and I didn't know when my dad would get home. It was tough. I felt a sense of alonement and neglect and isolation. Fast forward with you now with me a few more years to the time when I'm 15 and three more years have gone by and I am now a lost, mixed up and hurting teenager. I'm attempting to find solace in the party scene and I'm flirting with trouble and drugs. Feeling alone and again, the anger has deepened. Those memories of the 12 year old boy haven't vanished away. No one has fixed them and put a bandaid on them to make them all better. They carry with me. I'm angry and I'm confused at 15. I see my friends grasping at a party life, getting high, getting drunk, to somehow distract themselves, perhaps, from difficult realities. I was a very lost young man at 15 years of age. I was on the cusp of getting involved in criminal activity. I didn't go there, but it wouldn't have taken much longer had my story not changed but I was profoundly alone and profoundly angry and profoundly broken. I'm gonna pause that story now and you're gonna hear more about that later. But now let's, let's look together at Mark 15 and where we see that Jesus encounters deep loss and disappointment, not only in his relationship with others, as we just saw, how his closest friends let him down, but now he's encountering deep loss and disappointment in his relationship with God, his heavenly father. As Mark recounts the horrific crucifixion of Christ, his, this cruel, torture and suffering is described. The crucifixion of Jesus is described as he's hanging, nailed to the cross, suffering in crushing physical, emotional and spiritual agony. That Jesus encountered the darkest and most crushing loss of his life as a man on that day. The experience of being utterly cut off from his relationship, not only with his friends, because in the crucifixion account, we see everyone abandoning him, but now something much more troubling for Jesus is happening in Mark 15, 34. Jesus had already gone through in his earthly ministry, his closest friends failing him three times. Remember, we talked about that. 
and others spectated at the cross and did not attend to him. But now in 1534, Mark, we hear this, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's believed by most scholars that Jesus was reciting part of the King David's cry in Psalm 22.1, where he wails, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? He echoes David's prayer. As a child, Jesus would have learned the Psalms and he would have learned the scriptures, and this would have probably come to his mind. This is the cry of Jesus' very soul. In his very darkest of hours, it is one thing for his dearest friends to fail, fall asleep, abandon and betray him in his mission, but for his God, his very own heavenly Father, to be utterly absent in the very moment of his deepest need is quite another. At one time or another, I would submit we have all uttered this cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the cries of my groaning and my anguish. And if you have not yet uttered that cry, I submit that you will yet do so one day. And that was the 12 year old angry boy huddled around the television set in the basement of our home, wondering when mom would awake and when dad would come home and when I'd see my brothers again. And if anybody even knew that I was in that home, feeling alone and neglected and abandoned, or even cared. But as if it, it wasn't just my disappointment with my family or my sadness of their absence, I remember now that I was profoundly angry at God. And I remember thinking to myself, God, if you exist, show up. Because I don't think you do. Because I'm not feeling you right now. I didn't pray much at that age. I didn't go to Sunday school in those days. I wasn't raised in the church, but... I occasionally flirted with the existence of, his, of, of, of a divine being, of God himself, in my mind and heart. But in those moments, I didn't feel him. And I remember having a prayer to him. God, if you're here, please show me somehow. And in those moments, on that particular evening, I felt mostly alone. So grief can be a feature of our relationships with others and our relationship with God. But then God was good to me. At age 15, as I was living that partying scene and as I was feeling lost and discouraged in my relationships with my friends, my dad and I developed a close and vital relationship as a father and son. He reached out to me in ways I'll tell you about in a few moments with kindness and generosity, with closeness and love. He brought me close to him. And my dad and I had two spectacular years of fellowship together, despite my mom's continuing battle of mental illness. He and I had good conversations and extended periods of time together that were like no other in my relationship with him. Two wonderful years. And then God, for reasons I still don't understand, took him away from me two years later at age 17. And I still don't know why that happened to this day. I still don't have all the details. I've never been given a memo to lay it all out, but it did happen. And so that brings me to my second point today, and that is that our soul bears real wounds caused by carrying grief and loss. How we respond to those wounds is key to experiencing true healing. All of us are gonna have wounds. Having wounds is not optional if you live in this world. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But how we respond to those wounds, how we respond to that damage in our life is our key to healing. 
Luke 23 talks about it. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, save yourself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and they mocked him. They gave him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written above him a notice that said, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered, today, today, truly, you will be with me in paradise. Hear his words. Truly, I tell you, today, you'll be with me in paradise. In this account, we see that Jesus has a load of great reasons to be angry, to be hurt, to be sad, to be detached from all those around him. He was suffering immensely in every way, physically, emotionally, psychologically, yet somehow he was able to rise above all this through divine power. He endured the mocking, the sneering, the abuse. In the middle of it all, he heard the cry of the thief hung on the cross right next to him. In verse 42 and 43, we see purpose emerge from pain. The one thief is the picture of abject surrender and brokenness in the presence of the crucified one. And Jesus stretches his arms open wide with grace, gentleness, and love. Friends, my Lord has been kind and merciful enough to me. He's been kind and merciful enough to me in my life to provide some powerful encounters where he helped me to turn my pain into a divine purpose in ways that I could not have orchestrated or possibly controlled. One of those was my relationship with my father-in-law, Jerry. Debbie's dad, Jerry, and I became very close. At the last of my own dad at age 17, I suppose I was subconsciously looking for another father figure, an older man who could guide me, comfort me, give me wisdom and stability. And he and I had great conversations. We had a great connection. And over the years, I began to allow myself to become closer to him and to believe that I could be receiving the blessing of a father once again. And he started facing a journey of cancer in 2001 when his prostate was affected. And then a number of years later, dementia set in for a year or so. For about a year or so, starting in 2017, he was battling painful bone cancer. The prostate cancer had developed, it had advanced, and he was diagnosed as having bone cancer. And for those of you who don't know bone cancer, it's been said that it is the most painful of all kinds of cancer. He was battling a painful disease, and I witnessed his incredible suffering close up. I have never in my life seen pain like that in my life ever before. And trust me, I've seen a lot. I've been a pastor for 10 years. I worked in Tanzania seeing unimaginable mutilations and the results of them. I've sat by bedsides and heard testimonies of people who have been murdered or who have witnessed murder, who have been tortured. As a pastor, I've saw many people suffer, but the pain that Jerry went through was something new to me. It was hard to see someone I loved so much go through such agony. He was on fentanyl and it wasn't strong enough. He was on a patch 24 hours a day. He would groan literally in agony on his bed. And I felt so powerless and so helpless to fix it and make it better. And then in March of 2017, as I was watching him go through this suffering, he was hospitalized. And I flew into Winnipeg to visit him and I arrived at the airport and for some time I'd been worried about his spiritual state. I'd been concerned about his spiritual well-being. And 
I've been asking God, Lord, help me talk to Jerry about you and your love for him. And he had talked about fear of death from time to time, and he talked about not knowing what was going to happen. And I could tell he felt vulnerable around the concept of facing death. He knew it was inevitable. He'd been given only a number of months to live. And I had been praying for an opportunity to talk to him about heaven and about God and about where his soul was at. And the opportunity didn't come. But as I got off the airplane and I took a, a taxi to the airport and I arrived at the, at the hospital, as I entered literally the, the, the um, entry to his hospital room, as I physically put my first foot in that hospital room on that day in March of 2017, the Spirit of God prompted me. And he said, Peter, this is the time. Now. Not tonight, not tomorrow, but now. I I'm seldom feel that clearly directed by the Holy Spirit, but I felt it that way. And he said, talk to him about me and Jesus. And so I said, okay, in my spirit, I won't fight with the Holy Spirit. I won't fight with God. And so he then suffered another year. But on that night, that day that I was with him, I said, Dad, do you want to talk to God? Do you know that tonight, if you were to invite him into your heart, you'd be in heaven with him forever? If you were to confess your sins and ask him to take you into him and be his child, that he would do that. And you'd have no fear of death. You'd have absolute certainty that you'd be with him if you call in the name of Jesus for salvation. And he said, yes, I'd like to do that. And he grabbed my hand and I grabbed his and I began to weep and he began to weep and Debbie and Brady were there and the Holy Spirit was in that room and he transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light before my very eyes. A transformation from pain to life was happening. Which brings me to my third and final point. The Lord's loving arms of healing and forgiveness are open wide to receive and bless us as we offer ourselves in abject surrender to his claim on our entire lives. Mark 14 and Luke 23, going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you, what you will be done. It's now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. And with this, I want to share my own story as I finish my thoughts this morning. Remember I told you at age 15 how my dad and I, through after a few really difficult years in my teenage time, him and I became close and we had those special years. Well, the part I haven't told you is that he introduced me to Jesus. He had a profound experience with God in his own life and he kept inviting me to church and I kept saying no and I kept going with my friends and I kept partying and I remember he kept inviting me and he was kind and he was patient and I would see him praying. I even came home drunk one night way past my curfew, and he was kind to me and forgiving to me, and he kept inviting me without relenting. And finally one night I went to a Sunday evening service with him, and I remember saying, I will not go forward, I will not respond to any kind of manipulation or altar call, and this, I'm just going this to humor my dad, and as the service ended, the pastor asked people to come forward and give their lives to Christ, and I said no, and then I felt as though someone physically pulled me out of my chair and propelled me to the front of that church. I now know that was the Holy Spirit. And I knelt in the presence of God the Father and of my Father and invited Jesus into my heart for the very first time at age 15. He gave me the biggest gift any father could give a son, and that was Jesus. My life has never been the same ever since. He transformed pain into victory. As C.S. Lewis traversed his journey of grief and loss, he reflected on how God showed up for him 
God has not been trying to experiment on my faith or love in order to find out their quality. He already knew it already. It was I who didn't. In this trial, he makes us occupy the dock, the witness box, and the bench all at once. He always knew that my temple was a house of cards. His only way of making me realize the fact was to knock it down. Can you say this morning, as Jesus did, take this cup, this pain, this grief, this suffering from me? That's easy to do. None of us like suffering. But here's the hard part, friends. But not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Will you cry out to him right now as you're watching here this morning, whether it's online or through television, on YouTube, however you're hearing this message? Will you say to him, into your hands I commit my spirit in my hour of greatest need? Is he speaking to you at this moment, today? Knocking down or exposing some pain or grief or need inside your heart this morning? Remember, at the beginning of our time, I commended Jesus to you for your consideration. Well, I ask you to consider him again right now. He's calling you. Today he has an appointment with you. Whether you've known him previously and fallen away, whether you went to church as a child and never went back, whether you've never considered his claims in your life, he wants to come and bring healing to your grief, healing to your loss, and salvation to your soul. We have a number on the screen that you've seen at 604-629-7805. There are people who are willing to pray for you, to care for you, to lead you to know him, to attend to your spiritual and emotional needs. Make yourself available. Open up your heart. Or you can go to jerichoridge.com and slash connect. You see, experiencing the deep sadness of grief and the profound sorrow of loss are not optional nor elective in our life experience. This disruption in our lives is a certainty. What is up for grabs, however, is how our hearts will answer the question, what do I do with God in the middle of this? So as we close, friends, again I ask you, what will you do with God today as you reflect on the grief and loss in your life? And I'll close with Psalm, or with Isaiah rather, chapter 53, which foretold the Messiah, and it talks about what Jesus did for us what he did for you this morning. Isaiah 53, he says, I was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Are you familiar with pain and suffering? I'm sure you are. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem, surely. He took upon our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And friends, today, this morning, right now, I promise you, by his wounds you can be healed. Whether that's through emotional brokenness, whether that's through pain of losing a loved one, whether that's through a financial loss, a marital situation, or an emptiness of soul that's never met with Jesus, he can provide healing today. He can provide trust. He can provide faith. And so if you'd like Jesus to enter your heart today, perhaps for the first time, or maybe even away from him for a long time, not knowing where he was, or if he was, in the middle of your grief and loss, would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today I come to you in the name of Jesus. I realize that he was sent by you to die for my sins. I can't save myself. I can't fix my own grief and my own loss, Lord. It's too much. I'm broken. I'm not enough without him. And so I need you. And so come into my heart. Cleanse me from my sins. 
and bring me close to you so that I would become your child. Forgive me and change me and save me, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you very much, friends. Thank you.